0: Listening to Rattle and Pedal: Diversion Thoughts on Marketing and Growing Professional Services Firms. Your hosts are Jason Maliki and Jeff McKay.
1: So, Jeff, I think there's a there's a hole in our editorial calendar dating back to 2021.
2: You created it, right?
1: I, I, yes, I probably did create it, actually. So, you know, as you know, we are embarking on this five-step series. And I went back in time to when we did a program on leads back in May of 21. And we did a really nice series on lead gen. We did a series about, you know, defining what a lead is. We talked about lead management. We talked about research on lead gen. We even gave tips to build high quality leads. But we actually never gave listeners like a process. When we built this five steps model, I thought, well, we should really go back to that topic and go, okay. Let's get lead gen in five steps. Let's get clear on, you know, how do you actually do this the right way? What are the steps? What does it take to be successful? So that's our topic for today. Lead gen in five steps. We're going back to May 21 for listeners that have, are new to the podcast. If they want background on leads, because some of that stuff we will cover, some of it we won't, because we've obviously got, you know, plenty of content to, to fill in the gaps. So Well, it's such going.
0: a
2: perennial topic. And I would argue probably one of the most misunderstood topics in- Driving growth, And there's a lot of unrealistic expectations about what's possible, I think, and what are the sources of that lead gen. So I think this is going to be an important conversation.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. It's funny. Because if you think back to that, what is a lead podcast we did a long time ago, one of the things that we talked about in there is the just misunderstandings of what leads actually are I and mean, how a lot of firms, especially non-marketers or non-sales folks, maybe practice leaders or partners, their expectations of what a lead is and what you're going to deliver them are sometimes not in lockstep with what you believe you're going to deliver them. And so obviously part of the process is getting clear on what you want and what you need. I thought we'd start with, you know, in terms of this episode, lead gen in five steps or lead generation in five steps. If we think lead gen is too corny. Too corny lead gen. That works. It's just so marketing, you know, (laughs) demand gen, lead gen, blah. But I thought I would give a quick definition of what I believe it to mean or the way I tend to frame it. And then we can talk about why it matters. And then we can jump into the five steps. Do we even need to talk about why it matters? Doesn't it just mean revenue, revenue, revenue? Oddly enough, I do think we do. So I'll give a reason for that in a minute. So first off, what it is. So for me, when I talk about lead gen, I always want to, I use this definition. It's a system to proactively, that's the key verb. I was going to say verb, that's not a verb. What is proactively?
2: Yeah, it's an adverb.
1: It's an adverb. Thank you. So a system to proactively open conversations with new prospective clients. So that's the definition that I use. Proactively, new clients, conversations, the three parts of that definition.
2: I like that. That's a good definition. You finally got something to contribute. Crisp, Crisp and clear and short. Yeah. 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 Did, did you set a new year's resolution to be concise and to the point?
1: I did. Well, you know, these, these in five steps ones put a lot of pressure on you, right? Because it's a pretty big, (laughs) heady topic and you got to work really hard to get it in there. So, all right. So that's what it is. Now you said, why do we have to talk about why it matters? Isn't that obvious? Okay. So I'm just going to tell a quick story. As you know, in November, we did our thought leadership conference and I gave a whole talk on thought leadership marketing. So how you market your thought leadership content. And a lot of what I did was sort of explain how you would build a proactive marketing engine to take your thinking to market and try to generate leads off of it. And after giving my talk, the editor in chief, you know, of one of the big 4 firms, I'm not going to name who it was, basically stood up and sort of criticized my talk and said, "Well, what you're describing is an outbound model and and you know, we're more, we're, we're only focused on discovery. So, we're focused on getting stuff so we can get discovered, which I kind of took as, oh, so your basic, your strategy is publish and pray. But really, it's an inbound model, right? So it's this idea of like, well, we're going to put this all out into the world and let come people come to us. And I think that that's like perfectly fine and perfectly appropriate. And I've built the you know this entire Rattleback. We've built Rattleback off of that model for the last 10 years is to put a lot of high quality thinking out into the marketplace and let clients find us for what we do. Now, that said, I think most firms, especially that have some scale to them, struggle to keep their client pipelines as full as they would like with the right fit prospects they need to hit their business goals. So most firms cannot just focus on a discovery model. They have to have a proactive approach so they have more control over the sales pipeline so they can hit the numbers that they want to hit because they have growth goals, they have growth ambitions. And if their whole model is sort of a reactive, let's just get discovered that often doesn't get them what they want. So that's why it matters because I I, I thought it was important to say that because I do think there are some firms and that that was one of them where they don't think it's important. So Um, what does proactive mean and what does it look like? That's a great question. So proactive to me is about being purposeful. So when you think about, you know, the the classic inbound model it's like you create a you know an ideal client profile of who you hope will come to the door and the burning issues they face, and you're going to develop content against that and let them discover you, right? Discover you on their own terms and their own means, whether it's through Google search, whether it's through bumping into your thinking in an art, art journal they read or showing up at a conference, right? Proactive to me is saying, well, okay, let's be specific about the types of people or maybe even the individuals, you know, if you want to get that far down the path that we would like to do business with. And let's make sure we do everything we can to get our thinking and our expertise and our services in front of them so that they are aware of us in the hopes that they'll say, yeah, I I do want to have a conversation. It's a little more traditional marketing model in a way, right? You know, relative to what we've seen over the last 10 years be kind of like in vogue, if you will.
2: That makes sense? That makes sense. So you're saying inbound is dead. and No, 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 no.
0: (laughs)
1: <laughs> no, 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 no! Don't take me out of context here. To your point, I still fundamentally believe you know an inbound lead—someone that comes to you at their own pacing because they see you as the expert and they want your guidance on something—is still the apex. It's still the best, right? That's the, the the lead that you really, really want. Yeah, you know, especially if they're the right fit prospect. You've identified the type of client you want, and that client reaches out to you of their own volition from interacting with your thought leadership, that's the absolute best thing. That said, if you stop and think about that for a second, everything about that is somewhat circumstantial, right? Like you don't have... Like the client is completely in control of what they're doing, when they're doing, they're always in control, but it's nice to have something running alongside that, that enables you to get people into your system more systematically. Like, you know, people into your marketing, you know, funnel into a marketing relationship with you. That's not sort of relying on them to do it at their own pace. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I don't want to imply we're forcing them into something because that's not the goal.
2: That makes sense to me. And I'd encourage our listeners to go back to listen to the podcast on the lead management process because so many people think that lead generation is all right, I got a name and now I can sick somebody on them, you know, from sales to go after it. And you, you have to think, I think, more holistically about how you're managing that buyer's journey. And the client experience, you know, and a transition from marketing to sales to service delivery. So, when we're talking about lead gen, let's keep in context that this is one dimension of a larger process.
1: And that's a super valid point. And we have a whole episode where I think we did a really nice job of breaking down a good lead management model. And yeah, I would agree. I would encourage people to listen to that if that's something you're struggling with. If you're like, hey, I'm not really sure how to organize this. Well, let's get into the five steps. All right, so five steps, and to be honest, these five steps are actually pretty simple. So it's so we'll go inside of each one. It's not like there's things in here we are going to be surprised. It's more just how you do some of the things, and I'll give some examples to the best of my ability. Step one is actually just agree on your ideal client. So you have to be clear on who you want to do business with, right? First and foremost, and that applies to sort of everything that you do from a marketing perspective. But I think in lead generation, it takes on a little bit of a different flavor. You've heard me talk about this when we talk about identifying your ideal client, I always like to talk about firmographics, demographics, and psychographics. So sort of be clear on the types of organizations you want to do business with, people within those organizations that you want to do business with, and then what they're thinking and feeling and challenges that they have as it relates to the expertise that you bring to bear, right? So it's sort of those three things you're thinking about. And you and I have talked about this in some of our positioning episodes, where it's like, you know, when you're thinking about positioning, or you're thinking about you know developing thought leadership content, you can lean more heavily on the psychographics, right? You can say, well, we want to do business with people. You always like to use Seth Godin's quote, where it's like, you know, people like us do this or something like that. I don't remember do things it, like this. Do things like this. Mm-hmm. So, so you're sort of like you're developing thought leadership, or you're developing content that speaks to the way that they that they think or feel or the challenges they have. I generally sell in, in lead gen work. You have to spend more of your energy on firmographics and demographics because it's more important that you're really clear on the types of organizations and the types of people you want to do business with so that you can really go find them in a proactive sense. So when you're casting a net to the world, you can lean on that point of view and let people find you and lean into you based on that point of view. In lead gen, you're trying to go okay. Where do we think we're going to most likely find people with that point of view? What types of organizations will we have the most success with? And this becomes super critical, especially if you're going to do some type of, you know, like LinkedIn advertising or targeted outbound, you know, promotion to be clear on the 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 people you're trying to target, so you're not you know spending dollars wastefully. So that's step number one: is you know you have to paint a really strong picture of the types of organizations and the types of people within those organizations who you most would like to have a business relationship with.
2: I love that you started here and you said almost every marketing endeavor starts with the ideal client. Yeah. You probably should have used an adjective to say every successful marketing (laughs) campaign starts with ideal client because it is so critical because it allows you to hone in on the message and speak in a one-to-one way at scale. And I would argue your first step, until you do step one, don't even think about going to step two. Yeah. And step one is a hard step in professional services, given the BS of PS. You know, we talked about the headlines, uh, behind the headlines recently related to E&Y and the split of its two businesses, And those are very different businesses with very different customers and very different models. And you have to take into account what you're communicating to those buyers and taking the time to identify that ideal client in each one of those segments is hard because you can't have 10 ideal clients across a business, you might be able to have one or two, but you're not doing the job if each line of business has their own ideal client.
1: Well, it's funny. We're we're grappling through this on on a client project right now. I think the question you have to ask yourself, this is going to get ethereal for a second. Let's say you've got 10 practices and they have 10 separate ideal clients and there's very little overlap. Do you really have one firm, or do you have ten disjointed firms that are loosely collected together? And it's kind of a classic business school problem. But does it even make sense for those practices to coexist inside one firm? I think is the question you have to ask yourself, which is a bit much bigger question than a lead gen program. But <laughs> but, uh, but but I think it is interesting that that can kind of come up. It's like, well, wait a minute, this practice doesn't even talk to our clients. You know, so I think it's really critical, it. In, in I know the firmographic demographic thing is difficult for some folks. And we have some clients that say, "Well, Jason, you know, we're not vertically oriented. You know, we're not positioned around verticals. We work across sectors." And I always say, "That's fine. I'm not t- asking you to reinvent your positioning or rethink the nature of your business. All I'm asking you to do is think about, you know, in the next 12 months, where do you think the best client opportunities might be based on what's going on in the world." You know, it could be that simple. You might say, well, right now we think we're going to get more deals in retail for these reasons and less deals in industrial manufacturing for these reasons if you're sort of a horizontally positioned firm. So it's sort of classic marketing market segmentation, but it's something that I think most firms just don't well, I shouldn't say most. Many firms don't do very well, especially if they're not already clearly positioned. And, you know, based on a, a vertical disposition, or where they know exactly who they really do business with. Where it's a little, you know, broader than that, which is most firms. So
2: we did an episode on identifying your ideal client, I believe is as well. I'll link to that in the in the show notes. Yeah,
1: I know we've done two or three on that. I, I think I, I, we've, we've kind of come at that many ways. So, all right. So step two, I'll jump us ahead here. So step two is just getting clear business goals. And I know, again, this sounds silly, but I can't tell you how many times I've talked to partners and they'll say, well, you know, Jason, we need more leads. Okay. Well, how many more leads do you need? Well, I don't know. We just need more. I know I've made that joke in one of these past episodes. That's not a sufficient answer. You know, it's like investments you make in marketing are a function of what you're trying to accomplish. So you have to start with a revenue goal and work back. And you and I talk about this all the time. So it's okay. Be clear. Say, okay, well, well no, we really want to grow this business, you know, from 10 million to $15 million next year. So we need $5 million in new client revenue. That means we need this amount of client wins, this amount of project wins, this amount of client conversations. This many sales ready leads, this many marketing qualified leads. And you and I've talked about this in, in prior episodes, but it's just it's just use smart, specific, measurable, actionable, realistic, and timely goals. And in this step, I would also encourage to make sure I know you're gonna be, be shocked, I'll say this, but just make sure you agree on what, what a qualified lead is. I can't tell you how many times we did a campaign for a cybersecurity firm out of the East. This was in the pandemic. And they said, well, Jason, we really want to, you know, we really want to interact with chief security officers in Europe, Africa, and Asia. Can you build us a campaign to get our thinking in front of these decision makers? Yeah, we can do that. So we took some of their existing content, we built out a campaign on LinkedIn, we generated, I think, 30-ish leads into the funnel for them to follow up with and nurture. And after the campaign, they said, well, Too many of these leads were from Africa, so we don't want to do this anymore. So why did you ask for leads from Africa? I I gave you, you exactly what you asked for, and now you're unhappy with what you asked for, right? So I don't know how to, you know. So I think it's, you know, as the marketer, you sometimes have to ask the question two or three times. Are you sure those are the leads you really want? And what do you mean by a lead? Meaning like, is it just someone who, you know, meets the profile of the type of company you want to do business with? or someone who has stated that they have a need right now. Usually partners, and they want the person that has the need right now because that's what they're used to getting on an inbound model. I think I had the emphasis on the wrong syllable there. The inbound model. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, sorry. I always say that you, you kind of are going to get both. If you're building a lead gen program, you're going to get folks that, that meet the profile of what you want, folks that won't. And hopefully you'll get some in there that, as well that have a state of need right now. And your goal is to try to get all of them into the, to the funnel on some, on some level. Obviously not the, the ones that don't meet your profile, but some of that's going to happen anyway.
2: Your, your point about making smart goals is an excellent one. And this is where people, I think, go awry in order to have smart goals, you have to understand your conversion rates in your funnel. And that takes data and that takes deliberate action in understanding those things. So once you get your ideal client, you get down to this setting realistic expectations instead of just give me more leads. If you're really going to do it right, you need to take a scientific approach to it and work back from revenue, as as you said. And you can't work Back from revenue unless you know your conversion rates and where you need to optimize the most. Because everybody goes to the top of the funnel and says, "Well, let's just get more leads pouring into the funnel." Well, that may not be the best thing for you. You might be better at increasing your sales effectiveness and converting from a lead to an opportunity or from opportunity to close. But you need to be having those hard conversations too because you have to have a feedback loop to inform what you're doing from a lead gen. So, the smart goals are spot on, spot on. But you don't get to those without understanding your conversion rates.
1: I love the way you talked about that and I love that you talked about the loop and I love that you talked about the idea of, of understanding conversion rates. And, and and a lot of times firms don't don't have that information. They'll say, "Well, Jason, we we don't know. We don't know how many leads it takes to get to this." Or or sometimes the information is is not always accurate because they'll say, "Well, You know, we close 30% of the conversations we have. Well, yeah, but those are conversations with folks that have a stated need who have come to you for your expertise. That's your inbound flow, right? We're talking about a different model here. We're talking about a proactive outbound flow. Some of those people may not have a stated need. They might want to have a conversation, but they don't have a need yet. And they're just sort of interested to learn more about you and your firm because you had something useful to them that sort of made it into their line of sight at some point. Or, as you know, when you're seen as the expert, and someone comes to you inbound, which is the ideal place to be, their confidence and trust in you is much, much higher. So you're not one of some options often. Often you are the option. You just don't know it. And when those dynamics, buying dynamics, change a little bit, all of a sudden those rate conversion rates all change. You know, so it's okay not to know. If you don't know, well then when you're doing your first lead gen campaign and you're making an investment then use that investment to, to figure out those conversion points and you can figure out those conversion rates to build a, a sample data set that you can build upon. And then you can loop back and we'll get to the end of that, loop back into the beginning. So
0: You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, Principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes.
1: Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. All right, step three. This seems so simple, but it's just determine how much you're comfortable investing and where you're going to invest it. So it's sort of like building a strategy for the campaign and how you're going to measure progress. I've talked a lot about this, but the whole idea of, of setting a SMART goal is to say, well, if we're trying to you know grow the business by you know $5 million, then the question becomes, how much are you able and willing to invest in order to get that $5 million in new revenue? And so it's really sort of getting clarity on what that investment is that you're willing to make in a program. And also recognizing that the investment you make is a function of the risk you take, right? You and I talk a lot about this, this idea of, well... You know, when you make a larger investment, you know, that might feel more risky because you might lose more if it doesn't work but also is more likely to achieve your goals because you're going to put more into the system, right? So if you're going to put maybe more touch points, more ways to reach a client, then obviously the likelihood that that's going to successfully yield leads does go up. So it's sort of this kind of like calculated investment of risk and return, just like any other investment you make in your life. And so making sure that you're doing that with eyes wide open that says, well, you know, $5 million in new revenue is a million dollars in new profit. How much of, you know, that are we willing to put on the line to try to get it? And then kind of along with that it's like once you know that investment you want to make it's where you're going to make it right so this is where I tell clients is like you just have to identify where your ideal clients aggregate what do they read what do they watch what do they listen to what conferences do they attend who do they trust where do they hang out there's a lot of tools out there that you can use to identify those types of things so that you can figure out where you're going to build you know marketing programs, if you will. As you know, we use LinkedIn a lot in, in a lot of the campaigns we do with clients. It's it's often the, the first tactic that's used mainly because LinkedIn has, you know, you can sort of identify exactly anybody you want to find, any types of people you want to find through their ad targeting tools. You know, those firmographics and demographics I talked about, it's super easy to bring those out and identify people within LinkedIn. So often it's sort of the first starting place. But other times you, you can find whole other things. You know, We did a program for a firm that was trying to do business with fire departments within the United States. And of course, as you would gather, there are conferences and associations for fire chiefs. And so tr- we track those down and then we help them build you know, sponsorship campaigns around those associations, events, through their newsletters, those types of things. So there's other ways to target beyond LinkedIn and Google. That you need to be seeking out or be aware of. I like your,
2: I'm gonna say graph because that's what I saw when you said it, <laughs> of you know, risk and you know the a budget amount. Another important component I've found in my experience in that mix is time. How fast do you want to generate that amount of revenue in those leads? Because the amount of budget is also going to be a function of time and speed.
1: Super great point. I love that you brought that up, but I, you know, I should have as well. Super great point. And also, you have to be kind of cognizant of sales cycles, right? Hmm. You know, so you, you know, you want to bring five million dollars in the, into the business this year. Well, maybe you got to close that business within the first six months if you actually want it to hit the, the fiscal year. The,
2: the buying cycle, the, the kind of flip side of that, is also important, and we'll talk about this in just a moment. But timing your campaigns with when the market wants to buy that stuff is is also critical. So.
1: That's a wonderful point because I think, you know, when you're in a business for a while, so some marketers, because they don't have sales responsibility, they they may only know that anecdotally, right? Based on, you know, the, the partners tell them this is when things happen or, or maybe if the marketing unit supports RFPs or proposal development, then they know from that but you know like you or i right i mean you know because you're both marketer and business development right yes you, know, so you market your firm and then you're also the first point of contact for a conversation you you have that you can feel the ebb and flow so i think as a marketer what i'm trying to say is the, yeah, as a marketer you have to find a way to feed that to not only understand it cognitively but feel it and, you know, feel like when you like, you just know there's certain times a year when there's just a lot of activity. And you can often see that in analytics data. I mean, I, I see it in just, you know, interactions with email. For us, we always try to hit the market really hard in the first quarter of the year because we have people have the most attention in the first quarter of the year, at least marketers do. It's like they kind of show up in January and, they, and they're energized. and They're ready to go tackle the year and they're ready to learn and they're ready to dig in. And they're just, you know, that's when we see a lot of activity. So, you know, you want to hit really hard in that first quarter, but every business is different to your point. So
2: I love that you brought it up. All right. So we have choose your ideal client. Yep. Be very clear about your business goals. Determine how much you want to invest in this thing. Brings us to step four. What's step four?
1: So step four is obviously build a campaign, build a getting in the market, you know. So I'll just offer some advice here, you know. So my first advice is to work in quarters, you know, so don't try to, you know, build a campaign for a year and don't try to build a campaign for a month, you know, so try to build an initiative that's going to run for three months so that you have enough time for it to do its job and see if it's working. And to modify and learn along the way. So I always advise having something at the heart of, a, of it. So so you know, maybe use a high value piece of content at the heart of your program. You know, a media ebook or a white paper that speaks to a specific fundamental burning problem your clients have. Or you might use a, use a webinar at the heart of it. You know, so there's some signature thing that 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 exists within that quarter. That's the flashpoint you know, for people to interact with, for them to want to come into sort of a marketing relationship with your firm and use that asset to get, the, get leads into your system and then build out nurturing sequences against that. You have to recognize that just because someone downloaded your white paper or attended your webinar, one, doesn't mean they actually read it. Two, doesn't mean that you've really entered their mind sphere or that they have a stated need. So you have to sort of have sequences on top of that, getting to build a relationship with you. So whether it's email or LinkedIn messages, or maybe even direct mail, some way to actually build a relationship with them beyond just the moment of conversion. You can't assume someone's going to download your white paper and then say, hey, let's, let's talk. It happens, but that's not you know, that's not usual. And the last thing I'll say in there in terms of campaign execution is have some scoring model in place. You know, so don't, you know, I mean, we've talked about this and joked about it. You know, you're you're not Salesforce or HubSpot. You don't need to call every single person that downloads the asset. You don't have to call 75 people just because they downloaded your white paper. That's not necessarily an indicator of buying behavior. It might be, it might not be. Have some other way to score them based on who they are and and other things they've done and, and do some targeted outreach to you know, some of the people, but you don't need to target outreach, all of them, and have some, some methodology for that. And we've done a whole, I know we've done an episode on that. I know we've done an episode on lead scoring at some point. So I won't go into the details there.
2: So campaign execution is step four, step not four. step one.
1: Yes. yes.
2: <laughs> so the important point here is executing a campaign is step four, not step one.
1: I think that's a very valid point to drive home. Yeah, so don't, don't just start <laughs> ramming ads into Google tomorrow because <laughs> it might work. I don't know, but you also might be disappointed. Let's go step five. I know we're running a little long. So in step five is exactly what you'd expect. It's measure, reflect, learn, and go back. It's measuring your performance. Did you generate as many leads as you hoped? Were they as well-qualified as you liked? Were they sales ready? Did they have a state of need? Did you lead to as many sales conversations as you expect? Did you close at the rate and in investment you'd expected? And use that information to have you know, in good internal conversations about what you're going to do next, do differently in the next quarter. Are you going to change your tactics? Maybe you say, well, you know, we did a lot of investment and you know, we sponsored a, a newsletter on PitchBook. We, we, you know, a lot of our clients work in the private equity space and we've seen some good success doing things with PitchBook. And maybe you found that worked great. Maybe you found it didn't work so well. So what will you do differently? Is it the wrong asset? Maybe you're, you're speaking to the wrong pain point. Maybe your point of view isn't deep and strong enough and your content needs to get better. To your point, I, I like that you brought it up earlier is like, you know, if you understand your conversion model and you can look at the data that, that flows through this system, then you can say, well, what's working and what's not and where might we want to do things differently next time? And it doesn't mean you have to start all over. You know, it's like you might have an evergreen content asset that you can continue to run a camp. you know more against. You know, just because you know, my quarter is ended doesn't mean you have to go, oh my God, we have to have something brand new. And if it's an evergreen issue that clients are always struggling with, your you know, your content might be relevant for much longer than that. And you can keep running campaigns, but you might change them. You might change your tactical mix, or maybe you're gonna change your resource allocation to your point. You say, Well, we're getting you know, enough leads, but we're not really doing a very good job of getting them into sales conversations or, well, they're not really closing. So maybe we need to look at that more closely. So that's making sure you've got time allocated to do that reflection and see what's working and then adjust accordingly.
2: This step is critical. The closed loop feedback system is essential. When you said have good conversations, what I heard was have hard conversations. Honest conversations. (laughs) 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 That to me is what a good conversation is. This worked. This didn't work. This content was not good. We need to do better or whatever the case may be. We didn't really have our ideal client or we could refine it. But have hard conversations not to place blame anywhere, In the process, but to learn and improve, not to punish risk taking and failure, but to learn and improve. And you can't do that if you're tiptoeing around, not wanting to hurt somebody's feelings for some reason. You know, if you had bad creative, call out the bad creative. If you had bad content, bad content, whatever, you know, bad execution. Call it out. But you have to have that if you're really going to perform at a high level.
1: Well, I also like something you said. I I think you said this. I don't think this was in the recording. I think it was before we started. You said this takes time. So I think there's a tendency to do something like what I've just described. And if it doesn't magically deliver within the first couple of months, to just kill it. Mm. And I think that's usually a mistake. You know, your better thing is to say, well, okay, it's probably not going to work. It's probably not going to you know, hand deliver that perfect client within three months. So what do you do better? And how do you keep at it over time? And recognize that it's sort of, I don't want to say it's the cost of doing business because I hate that phrase, but building a healthy, robust pipeline is critical to your long-term success. And if you believe like I do that, You can't only rely on a discovery model. You can't only rely on people finding you because you've got awesome thought leadership and you should have awesome thought leadership and they should find you for that. But that shouldn't be the only way that you deliver clients to the door. You have to have a systematic way to proactively take your story to the client you want to do business with because some of them are just never going to take the time to discover you at all just because they got a lot going on and they don't even know you're out there and you could be a great resource for them and they don't ever have time to go looking for you. Mm -hmm. And so bringing your story to them is is equally valuable. So anyway, I love that you said that. You said that it's it's a long slog and it's hard. And to your point, you have to have some really difficult conversations along the way when things don't work as well as you thought they were going to work. And it's, and it's never as easy as it sounds, you know, so anybody that's, you know, I think we all get these, the lead gen offers from every Tom, Dick and Harry that wants to sell you this stuff through email, right? It's never as easy as they claim it's going to be. It's always hard.
2: I want to go back up to the very start of what we said in order to, to close this out here. Your definition of a lead is an opportunity to have a conversation. That means to me that firms cannot rely just on marketing's electronic distribution of this campaign intellectual capital, if you will. That this has to be a holistic approach that folds in you know, the relationship building, the personal selling, the key account management dimensions that every firm should be running as well. I don't think you can like bifurcate, well, that's personal selling and this is, you know, lead gen over here. No, they have to be brought together in a synergistic way. And most firms, in my experience, kind of, they split them apart and they shouldn't be split apart because you have salespeople just, okay, I'm just going to wait here until you give me a lead so I can call somebody. It doesn't work that way.
1: I think the worst thing you see in that is when there's finger pointing involved, where the a piece of business closes, and marketing will say, "Well, we generated that lead off this campaign," and the sales leader will say, "Well, no, not actually. You know, we knew them from before." And there's sort of finger pointing and attribution arguments, and that's just not healthy for the culture. Usually, the answer is yes and right, like it's like the marketing. Absolutely influenced it. If they showed up in a campaign and they they did something, that influenced the sale. I mean, it just, it most likely did, as did the personal relationship, right? So it's like, I always kind of view it as like, you're doing a, a number of things and you're doing them all in, in sort of concert to try to drive your business to the future place you want it to be. And in, it's never just one thing. It's never just one great closer who knows how to close business or one great marketer who has a, you know, wizardry for, for, for email marketing or something like it's just that that's just never just one thing. It's always a combination of things. So we're running long, so we should probably wrap. (laughs) So thank you for going on this five point dive with me. So we've now done, two of these five steps sessions. I'm excited. We've got, we've got, you know, a number of these planned and I'm excited to, to hear from listeners on their feedback to these. So for those of you that listen, feel free to, or know us personally, feel free to reach out, tell us what you think. We'd love to get your feedback on, on this format. We're pretty excited about it. So unless there's anything else you can think of, let's take it to wrap. Good job, buddy. Cool. Talk to you next week.